Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. And throughout this podcast, we've wanted to feature dietitians who are experts in their field. Right, because we don't know everything. Right, well, exactly. (laughs) That's one thing I do want to point out is that not every dietitian knows everything about every facet of nutrition, just Mm -hmm. like physicians don't know everything about every part of medicine. It's just not possible. But we did get a listener question regarding food dyes and natural flavorings, and this is something that neither of us feel particularly expertise in. Um, But we did have, uh, you have a colleague, uh, Sally Kuzemchek from Real Mom Nutrition, who is going to take on some of these questions in our first live interview. excited to have Sally Kazemchek with us today. Uh, She is a registered dietitian, author, and mom. She blogs at realmomnutrition.com, a no-judgment zone all about feeding family, which features advice on picky eating, simple, healthy recipes, and lots of reassurance. She is the author of 101 Healthiest Foods for Kids and collaborated with Cooking Light on Dinnertime Survival Guide, a cookbook for busy families. She is a contributing editor for Parents Magazine and blogs for WebMD. An award-winning reporter and writer, Sally has been published in nearly 20 magazines, including Prevention, Health, Family Circle, Eating Well, Fitness, and Shape. She lives in Columbus, Ohio with her husband, two sons, and a dog, which I love, Hopper. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Welcome, Sally. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I love your background. Um, I love your backstory. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit, how kind of dietitian is your second profession, right? Yeah, I started out uh, as a magazine writer, and I did that for several years, and my focus was health and nutrition. And I just started loving the nutrition piece of that so much and that I decided to go back to school and become a registered dietitian. And so I would just bring a lot more expertise to my writing and then open up other you know, career possibilities as well. So went back, started with basic chemistry and biology. I'd never had those as an English major. And um, <laughs> many years later, got my master's degree and became a dietitian. So I combined writing with dietetics and that is my primary thing I do is uh, communications and writing for my blog and then uh, writing for other outlets like Parents and WebMD and sort of translating that science into something that's understandable and accessible for people. That's awesome. I know I saw one of your blogs once on food dyes and I follow you very closely and we actually had a listener question and I'm going to read it now. It's on a natto seeds coloring for cheese and or food dye in general is bad. Also, natural flavors. What is that? And so I thought of you and thought we'd kind of throw mm-hmm. that out there to you. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I actually researched this topic for Parents Magazine, and I can include that. I can send that link to you if you wanted to include that in your show notes. So I did spend a long time researching this and talking to a lot of people about this issue. So, um, and I ended up learning a lot, and it's it's really good for people to know this information. So, um, we've actually had dyes in the food supply for more than a hundred years, and. And you'll know that something is a synthetic, so man-made dye, when you see a color and a number, so something like Mm -hmm. red 40 or yellow 5. 
those are synthetic dyes. So obviously we know they color candy and, and drinks, but they're also in a lot of other places which people may not realize. So a lot of pickles have synthetic dyes. Oh, wow. Um, white marshmallows have blue dye. Um, <laughs> a lot of just brown cereal, like life cereal, has a yellow food dye. So they can show up in a lot of places. And concerns about dyes have actually been around for decades. So in the 70s, it was first the idea of an interaction between dyes and attention, hyperactivity yes. first kind of came to light by someone named Dr. Ben Feingold. And you may recognize that because of the Feingold diet, which he ended up creating. And that eliminates those dyes, plus things like preservatives, artificial additives. Um, and that was a, a diet meant to help um, children's behavior or, or, you know, hyperactivity or inattention. Yes, I recall but, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I th it's still used by it's, some parents today. I, I, th I said... It, it's sort of making a comeback, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know when it kind of made a comeback, but I've definitely um, heard from parents who say that mm -hmm. they use it for their children. So um, I don't hear a ton about it, but every once in a while someone will mention that they follow it. So, But then attention sort of came back around to this idea of dyes because of a couple of, of pretty important studies. So. In um, 2013, they did an analysis of studies. I think it was almost two dozen studies. And what they found was they concluded that 8% of children with ADHD had symptoms that were worsened or even caused by food coloring. Hmm. And you think, okay, 8%, maybe that doesn't sound like that much to some people, but think about there are about 6 million children diagnosed with ADHD. And so that's hundreds of thousands of kids that could be impacted by dyes. So those dyes may be making their symptoms worse. Hmm. And then another study was, um, was done. It was a double-blind, placebo-controlled study of children, um, who did, most of whom did not have diagnosed attention problems. And they gave them drinks with the dyes or without. And then they had people observe them, like parents, teachers, trained observers. And they actually found that when the children, some of the children who drank the, the drinks with the dyes had higher levels of impulsivity and attention and hyperactivity. And so this researcher concluded that even children without diagnosed attention problems may have symptoms of inattention because of the dyes. So it's interesting that not only do children with diagnosed attention problems, they may be vulnerable to these dyes, but also children without diagnosed attention problems maybe mm. as well. So um, in 2011, the FDA convened a panel to figure out, to look at this problem and to figure out if, if foods actually needed to be labeled if they contained a dye. They do that in the European Union. Mm -hmm. They actually have warning labels on things that contain synthetic dyes that specifically say these dyes may affect behavior. So the FDA convened a panel, and it was a very close vote, but they did decide not to. Obviously, we don't have those labels. They decided right. <laughs> not to label. They said there was not enough evidence, but it was a, it was a close vote. And um, some of the people, I actually talked to some of the people on that panel, and there are people on that panel that really feel like we should have those hmm. um, labels on food. So it is, it, is, um, it is definitely a real thing. It's not just some sort of fear-mongering mm -hmm. rumor about food dyes and behavior. There's research there. There's, I think there's cause for concern. I think certainly if, if one of my children had, um, was diagnosed with ADHD or had attention problems, it seems like pretty low-hanging fruit to try that out. And I, 
in the research for my story, I did talk to, to different parents who had tried it and it helped some and it, it didn't help others. And, mm-hmm. and, and that is what the researchers said when I talked to them. They said, not, not all children may be, may be vulnerable to dyes. It may be something like a leaky gut uh, situation going on in some kids mm-hmm. um, and, yeah. and some may not be affected. So it's, it's pretty interesting, um, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a legitimate concern. I know you mostly work with children, but have you come across any research that says the same is true in adults or continues on those types of findings? That's a great question, and I never, I didn't explore that. Okay. I, I haven't seen anything like that. That's, a, that's mm-hmm. an interesting question, though. Yeah. I'm always full of those. Yeah, <laughs> very interesting. <laughs> We're now seeing that Aldi has taken that step of removing synthetic food dyes from their products. You know, do you see more manufacturers going this way since it is such a hot topic? Absolutely. So um, there are there are definitely big companies who are removing these, and it is really because of, you know, it's not a, a safety concern per se. The FDA still maintains that you know dyes are safe; they're they're tested. It's really just a response to consumer demand. So companies obviously want to make products that people want to buy, and more and more parents are looking for things that don't have the dyes. So I think it's just good business to offer that option. And in a lot of cases, they're using natural colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, it, it's interesting, those you know, you, you can think, well, why wouldn't companies just automatically use natural colors? Why would they even use synthetic colors to begin with? And natural colors are derived from mostly plants. And of course, there's a lot of variation in plants. So you can make a synthetic dye that looks exactly the same every time. But if you're using like beet juice or paprika, those things are going to look different. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot more cost. It's a little trickier. And those hues tend to be a little duller. They're not Mm -hmm. quite as vivid. And so there have been cases where companies have reformulated something with natural dyes and people have not liked it. Like Uh I know the cereal, for instance. And then so they've gone back to the synthetic dyes. If you look at like the the M&Ms they sell in the European Union, they are just slightly duller (laughs) and the colors are just not as sort of day glow as they are Hmm. here. So um, I think it's a great thing. I think that if parents or anyone really is trying to avoid them, it's fairly easy to find naturally colored products these days. It's, you know, probably a decade or two ago, it wasn't as easy, but now I feel like, you know, whatever product you're looking for, keep looking on the shelf and you'll probably find one that's formulated with the natural colors. So if you don't see that color with a number, if you don't see, you know, red 40, yellow six, Mm -hmm. or instead you see beet juice or paprika, then you know those are naturally derived colors. Okay. This sounds a little to me like the gluten we were talking about before. It's, you know, there is a certain population that needs to be concerned about this Mm -hmm. and, and maybe it has some benefit for them. And uh, we're starting to see more products on the market, which is good. And, um, but, you know, could take over and be a big thing. Did the, re- did the researchers in this, any of these, these meta-analysis um, give any clue of how you could determine which children were sensitive to dyes? Yeah. I spoke with one of them who suggested, you know, if parents kind of wanted to try to figure this out on their own, it's really just, uh, you know, the, the, a matter of tracking symptoms, mm-hmm. removing dyes, not doing anything else. 
and then tracking symptoms again. There's really, that I know of, there's not sort of like a test to figure out if you might be, you know, sensitive to the dyes. Right. Um, but it's really just a matter of elimination and seeing if you notice a change in behavior. Did the researchers control for me? I think about like parent observability that, you know, you have that bias. If they know that right. dyes are coming out, they may feel like, oh, my child's behavior. It's, I mean, I've seen this a lot with people who do gluten-free case mm-hmm. and free for autism. They, you know, sort of know. It's hard to blind those types of things. Yeah, the, the study that, um, the study on the children who, some of whom did not have behavior issues, so they had observations by parents and teachers and okay. a trained observer, and there was a computerized uh some kind of computerized test that the children took. So they didn't just rely on parent right. feedback to compare that, which I think is is important. Awesome. And it was double blind, so nobody knew who was getting the drink. Okay, that's good. Yeah, good. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Okay. So, yeah, synthetic dyes versus natural, you know, you talked about that a little bit. Any tips on the natural food dyes? Do we really need them in, in home cooking? I think, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think about, you know, Grater's mint chocolate chip ice cream, you Mm -hmm. know, and, or, or Breyer's, whoever it was, it was like, it it doesn't need to be green. Right. (laughs) And Mm so, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we taste with our eyes, which is um, why, you know, food manufacturers often dye their food. So if you want to connote, for instance, something is mint, you make it green or lime, it's green. And so I think it can be a really pleasing, attractive you know, thing to do to a food, you certainly don't need them. I will happily eat mint, mint chocolate chip ice cream that is white, for instance. Right. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so a lot of the a lot of the companies do want to use them because they do want their foods to be colorful and appealing. Mm-hmm. And I've actually made um, some naturally dyed foods at home. So I have on my blog, I have a couple recipes for naturally dyed frosting. This frosting is definitely mm. that trips up a lot of people who were trying to avoid synthetic dyes because of course we're all used to those uh, liquid food colors that give a vivid hue to our frosting right away and um, it can be hard to mimic that with natural colors but it's actually really fun Um, you can puree spinach you Mm can um, cook a beet and use that beet juice Um, I have a couple recipes that I can uh, send you guys for the show notes if you want and it's just kind of a fun especially for kids to see wow look at this this beet gave this or strawberries, whatever, mm-hmm. gave this frosting this really beautiful hue. It's a natural, beautiful hue. Yeah. Um, and it still gives that sort of eye appeal um, without without the synthetic guys. I had a red velvet cake at a, a cake baking class that was flavored with beets. Mm-hmm. And, oh, gosh, it was, I mean, you couldn't tell. Uh-huh. But the color was just brilliant. It huh. was just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it was just beautiful. That beet juice. make an amazing color, and it yeah. really doesn't take very long. I mean, anybody who's cut one and had their right. fingers stained afterwards knows that. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I was interested with this question that we initially got with the annatto seeds um, for coloring for cheese, and I, I actually hadn't been aware of annatto seeds. Mm-hmm. And so... That was kind of interesting, but I did a quick Google search, and it really basically is one of those natural foods that you can use for coloring, I guess. Have you ever worked with that? Yeah, it's a seed of a tropical shrub, so and it, and it makes things yellow or orange. And the, the concern, I think maybe you had a, had, I think the person asked whether it was safe. Yeah. Um, 
is it, it actually can have an allergic reaction. It can cause an re allergic reaction in some people. Hmm. But it is considered a rare reaction, but it actually can cause almost sort of like an anaphylactic reaction, like hives and swelling in some people. Yeah. So there are certainly reported cases of that. You'll see that um, annatto may be in things like butter and cheese. So, um, hmm. yeah, so I, I wouldn't say like, oh, it's dangerous, everyone should avoid it, but it, it can cause an allergic reaction in some people, which is actually the same for something called carmine, which is a red food color. It's actually derived from an insect, hmm. the yes. color. Yep. And, um, you find it in like, uh, like lipstick, right? I don't oh. know if it's in lipstick. It might be. Yeah, I think um, it I is. I know it was in a Starbucks drink, I believe, and then oh, wow. there was a big outcry, and I think they removed it. Um, <laughs> but um, they, I, I believe they petitioned the FDA to specifically name that instead of like a natural color mm -hmm. to specifically list it so people who were sensitive could know and could avoid that product. So, again, it's not that a natto is harmful. It's right. just some people in rare cases may have a reaction to it. Now, I know in USDA products, natural flavorings can't contain protein. So I know this from a gluten perspective, um, that they can't contain protein. So you would probably avoid some allergens in that regard. But in terms of FDA-regulated products, they don't have to list those out correctly that are in natural flavorings, right? There, there's no requirement right. to list them. Oh, yeah. Okay. Natural, you know, as we know, natural is a super vague term. Yes. Um, when you look at, you know, a bag of potato chips can be labeled all natural. Soda can be labeled all natural. It really just demean, really just means that it's it's something that's not derived by a man-made, not derived from a man-made substance. So that is a huge umbrella term. And so natural flavor just means that flavor is derived from a plant or an animal. So, for instance, I toured an orange juice packing plant recently, and they said they, they extract the um, essential oil from the orange peel and sometimes add that back into the juice to get, like, the exact flavor that they want. Hmm. So that would be a natural flavor, an essential oil. Um, but interestingly, sesame is also considered a natural flavor. And that, that natural flavor from the sesame can actually cause um, an allergic reaction mm -hmm. for some people who are highly, who are, are allergic to sesame, which is actually, interestingly enough, a very growing concern yes. yeah. um, in the allergy community. Yep. So if you're allergic to sesame, you don't know if it's as natural flavors, whether that's sesame or not. And um, wow. so okay. I really feel like, you know, hopefully <laughs> that will evolve, natural flavor will evolve and people, and the FDA will start to um, maybe spell out what that natural flavor comes mm -hmm. from. And that's where you, you may see some people, you know, having a distrust of that, of that term, natural flavor. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it seems like part of that is because the FDA is not really telling us what that is. So it's not that it's this toxic substance that they're putting in that they're calling natural flavor. It's just a, a vague catch-all. And it can yes. be many, many different things. I think that lack of disclosure from the FDA is concerning for many things, but I can definitely see it, especially in this regard, that people feel like if it's not there, it's being hidden or something, that they're trying to hide something. And I, right. and, and unfortunately, that's what gets the blogosphere going, doesn't it? Right. Yes. People who are, <laughs> yes, are sort of fear-mongering natural flavorings. You know, yeah, exactly. When natural flavor might be an essential oil, and as we know, you know, a lot of people are really into essential oils right now and feel like that's this like great natural way to 
um, treat things. And so if you knew your natural flavor was an essential oil from an orange peel, it'd be like, okay, no, no big deal. Right. Right. <laughs> but instead it seems mysterious and, uh, you know, dangerous or somehow. I think I read someplace and maybe I, maybe I'm misremembering this, but that sesame may be added to one of the eight, the, the major food allergens. They are, FDA is looking into that. Yep. I recently wrote about that. Yeah. Hmm. Parents and yeah, because they, they, they believe that, that a lot of people are actually allergic to sesame and, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's showing up. So say you, you buy hummus and it says tahini. Some people mm-hmm. don't, don't realize that's sesame. Yep. Right. So, I think I think I read a a case about a a case in maybe in the UK where I think a child died um, from sesame that was on a bun that she did not realize. So once it becomes part of the top known allergies, then at that point we start seeing it on labels. labels, Yeah, Yeah, they cannot hide it at that point. That's okay. Yep. Interesting. All right. Well, I don't. Is there anything else, Sally, that you want to talk about? I don't think so. I just think, you know, the, the food dye, you know, I, I am obviously my, my blog's called a no, no judgment zone. So I, and I really don't like fear mongering. I know, mm-hmm. I know you guys don't either. I know that's <laughs> right. things you've tackled here on the podcast, but when it comes to food dyes, I do think there's a legitimate reason for concern and the food, food dyes really serve no purpose in the food supply other than color. So right. other than supplying color, it's not like they provide a valuable source of iron or something like that. They just color foods. And so if we can remove them and substitute something more natural, to me, that's a no-brainer. So this is one instance where I kind of, I, I, I do avoid them when I'm looking for products. And um, I do try to find alternatives. I don't freak out if my kids go to a birthday party and they're serving something with dye. I, that doesn't worry me at all. I just feel like, gosh, it's, like I said, it's a low-hanging fruit. It's something that you can avoid fairly easily. And so why not? So that's sort of my take on it after doing all this research. And I feel pretty comfortable saying that. Is it a case you think sometimes where the dose makes the poison? If it's I, Yeah, I do. And, and there is, um, in that Parents Magazine article, I do talk about the the sort of threshold that they found that caused the most symptoms and and really if something is the more vividly colored a food is the more dye it has and so i can't remember the exact stats in the story but it talked about like the amount typically in a glass of punch um Mm -hmm. and compared to the amount that that tip that was sort of the tipping point for some children and you know it's pretty easy to get there with Mm -hmm. some of those vividly colored foods that would be interesting research too then so looking at it not just from an allergy perspective but a tipping point perspective right yeah and i and i i interviewed some parents for the story who said if their child had any amount of dye, the behavior was off the chart. So I think as mm-hmm. with so many things, it's just individual differences too and how, how sensitive people are. Sure, sure. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us, Sally. Thanks for having me. Sure. And um, would you like to promote your, your blog one more time? Sure, I blog listeners. at realmomnutrition.com. That's a no judgment zone about feeding a family. <laughs> And um, you can find me on social media at Real Mom Nutrition as well. Wonderful. Thank you again so much for your time. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a great interview, wasn't it? I that just was... think, yeah, she's, she's extremely knowledgeable about this topic. Very. And we do want to thank our listener uh, who sent us this question. And you can send us your questions to at our email address at dish, dish at secretliferd.com. Or you can visit our website at 
secretliferd.com. Again, we want to thank Sally for her time and remind you that her blog is at realmomnutrition.com where she has amazing tips and recipes. There's even a cookbook. So there's all kinds of things that you can visit on her blog as well. And we'll post those in our show notes. We will see you next time. And again, we hope that you'll visit with us at The Secret Life of Dietitians wherever you get your podcasts.